Happiness versus Flourishing, episode 14. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on small ways you can improve your life and life quality. Today's episode is with Richard Burrows, who's based on the Sunshine Coast in Australia. Just just the name alone conjures up all sorts of images for me. And Richard's going to help us with ways we can improve ourselves from a physical perspective, from with breathing and exercise techniques. We're going to hear a lot more from Richard very soon. Why not subscribe to this podcast so you can get it as soon as it's released every Tuesday lunchtime and leave a review for us. That lets a lot, a lot more people know about the podcast so it gets out to more and more people. Hope you enjoy this week's show. Happy versus flourishing. My guest today, Richard Burrows. How are you, Rich? I'm well. Very well indeed. Thanks, Dan. And you're in quite a nice part of the world, aren't you? I can't complain. Can't complain at all. I'm, well, it's, it's the evening time. I know it's morning for you, but I'm, I'm sat in my office at 8pm um, on a, what are we now? Uh, a Wednesday evening on the Sunshine Coast of uh, Queensland in Australia. So um, this is home for us at the moment. And just the name, the Sunshine Coast, I mean, that just conjures up so many images, especially for, I mean, I've been to Australia and I've been to Sydney and Melbourne, but I've never been to the Sunshine Coast and it sounds, just the name sounds amazing. Yeah, it, it definitely lives up to the hype and lives up to the name. What you, what you see on the tin is definitely what you get. Uh, beautiful climate pretty much all year round. It, we like to say there's only generally one month of the year that's a little bit too cold and one month of the year that's a little bit too hot. Um, but otherwise, you know, we're swimming in the ocean all year round. Uh, it's a very, for someone who came from a, a colder climate, uh, originally down south in Melbourne, this is, uh, it's a rare occasion when I have to pull on a, a jumper, let's just say that. And, and talking of that, I mean, you, you lived in Melbourne for, what were you, did you live, lived in Melbourne all, your whole life before you moved there? I moved around a fair bit in my uh, 20s and 30s. Moved away from Melbourne for the first time uh, to head to the nation's capital, Canberra. I did a, a traineeship year there, then was posted out to Sydney for five years. Uh, moved on to London for a couple of years and then came home via a ski season in the French Alps of uh, Melbourne was, was always home during that time, but um, when I returned to Australia and started to sort of set out on this, this new career path and uh, the businesses we're currently involved in, it was always in the back of our mind that we wanted to, to get away from the big city. So it took a little bit of planning and um, some reconnaissance missions up this way, but uh, 18 months ago, we were, we were fortunate enough to to leave the big smoke for, for good, hopefully. And, and so what were, you said that you were always looking to move away, and what were those reasons? Why were you thinking of leaving? I've always found most uh, joy and happiness in open space, and particularly coastal. And uh, I can point to half a dozen of my favourite memories of all time being either in the ocean with friends or, um, you know, 
on the beach with family, all of these, uh, it was always a very strong pull for me as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think once, once you get to an age where you, you feel like you have a, a bit more agency over and a bit more control over how you want to live on your own terms, then, then, then why not go to those, those really strong um, uh, draws, those, those things that you can't stop, stop returning to. And for me, that's, that's the ocean and the, and the coast. And so, what what made you actually go all the way to the Sunshine Coast? As a, I mean, there's this coast. There must be sort of beaches quite close to where you were. Yeah. Uh, so the the beaches down in, in Victoria, obviously, you don't have uh, the climate that you have up here. Uh, yeah, the winters still get quite cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the New South Wales coast is, is similar. Uh, this particular region is where my wife and I had our very first holiday together, going back a number mm-hmm. of years now, and we just kept coming back, and we started to meet people. We started to train at one of the, the gyms in town and, and made friends there, and we just really fell in love with the, the lifestyle in this particular area. It's, it's quite unique, I think, uh, whether that's a, a function of... Uh, the fact that it is more of a, a traditional, a, a tourist town, so it has more of a transient population and people who end up here have made the conscious choice to, to live here. Mm-hmm. So that there's, there's very few people who are, um, you know, have born and bred, lived here their, their whole lives. It's a, it's a really interesting mix of, of people uh, with you know, just, a, just a great outlook on, on life and actually want to be here. Hmm. which we fell in love with. And so work-wise, is what you're doing now what you were doing in Melbourne or did you sort of change things? No, that's, that's remained constant for me. I'm uh, a partner and part owner in an executive recruitment business. Hmm. So I, I have uh, business partners in Melbourne who continue to keep the lights on in the office. My role hmm. in that business is, is more research and operations. Uh, so I do a lot of the behind-the-scenes work, which can obviously be done online these days. And, mm. yeah, before we went into to COVID conditions, I would, I would generally get down to Melbourne perhaps once a month just to check in with, with the guys, get involved in some, some marketing activity. But most of my day-to-day work is, is done you know, online, so it managed to, to work out very well for us. But apart from the, the recruitment stuff, you you've have your fingers in some other pies as well, don't you? Yeah, it's, I think having a business which has been reasonably successful, we've, we've made a good fist of the, the search business over the past five years. And having that established and, and running quite well has allowed me the opportunity to, to follow some more passion projects and some new ventures. Uh, Primarily with my coaching, which is uh, obviously how we, we connected with um, our shared background in the Oxygen Advantage mm-hmm. instructors course. So that, that's one one piece of what I do. Uh, mm-hmm. So coaching, CrossFit, uh, running workshops and seminars around breath work and, and cold exposure, which also suits this part of the world very well because we can do a lot of training outdoors and we can... We can really 
give people a, you know, an amazing you know, physical and um, you know, vital experience when they're, they're training outdoors and they're doing breath work and they're, they're going into cold water and they're going to the ocean. Uh, it's, it's just really a fantastic lifestyle, really, uh, which, which is different to slogging it out in your, your kind of regular gym, I guess. And for anyone who's listening who has who's not really familiar with what breath work means and they've got, never heard of the oxygen advances, do you want to, to the, describe those? Cool, breath work, geez, where do we begin? Um, for, uh, it means different things to different people and you can approach breath work from a variety of traditions, from a variety of techniques and, and methods for a variety of purposes, whether that's for uh, mental, emotional, spiritual uh, practice, awareness, or dealing with um, you know, personal issues of, of trauma or stress or um, anxiety. So that, that's one bucket. Uh, I, I don't focus so much on that area. I'm more about using the power of breath to become a, a better performer and whether that's for the athletes I work with, helping them to be more uh, efficient aerobically, to run faster, run longer, perform better in, the, in their chosen sport or for, for everyday people who are wanting to have more energy, uh, to feel better, to have better health. Uh, it, it's a bit like applying the lessons from Formula One to um, you know, consumer cars, the same principles apply. So if you're someone who wants to perform at their, their best, then breath work and the training that we do is, is a, a really, I think, fundamental skill that you, you should probably learn. And oxygen advantage is a, a particular, um, I guess, a, what would you call it? It's a... It's an approach and a, a school of, of thought around what optimal breathing looks like and how to improve sports performance based around breathing less, uh, introducing uh, hypoxia training, which is breath holding, uh, as well as hypercapnia, which is uh, increasing the levels of and your tolerance to carbon dioxide in the blood. So without getting too sciencey, we could we could disappear down a rabbit hole of the uh, the science of um, different techniques. But it's it's helping people perform better, deal with stress better, and uh, just improve their health. And because apart from um, I know apart from doing this sort of oxygen advantage stuff, you've dabbled in in Vim Hof, and I think you've done some stuff with Laird Hamilton as well, haven't you? Yeah, so Led Hamilton's, for those who don't know, is a, a big wave surfer um, based over in, in the US. He's, he's been one of my idols for, for many, many years. And around about the time that I was, was starting to take an interest in, in training and coaching and, and the role breathwork would, would, would play in that, uh, he started to share some of his, his personal training techniques, which are quite unique with with friends and associates and and before too long yeah, everyone wanted to come everyone wanted to come to the party so we realized that okay we need to uh, train some people up in, in how we approach our 
our training through the, the XPT group and their methodology, mm-hmm. uh, which combines elements of oxygen advantage, combines elements of Wim Hof method with uh, some of the more traditional underwater workouts, which grew out of the Hawaiian tradition of the rock carries underwater and so forth. So we do a lot of pool training uh, with weights, carrying weights underwater, doing various dynamic exercises in a weightless environment, which is heaps of fun, as well as being pretty kind to the body. Um, very challenging mentally when you're operating in an environment that is uh, a lot of people have a strong fear association with being held underwater against your will Um, Mm -hmm. and combining that with building our aerobic capacity, building our to tolerance to be able to operate in that that calm and, and focused manner uh, in really challenging environments. So the, the whole, uh, I guess the purpose of, of XPT is to create versatile and resilient human beings and the pool is one testing ground, the cold exposure is another proving ground and the sauna and so forth. So it's, it's exposing the body to stress and giving individuals techniques to rise above the stress. Uh, and, and breath being, being a huge part of that. Because I know you've, um, you're also a, a CrossFit instructor. So were you, before you started combining some of the elements from XPT and, and Oxygen Advantage and, and Wim Hof and so on, were you also doing CrossFit stuff before or was it a case of you were working as a CrossFit instructor and then you started developing these other areas? So, so what I'm trying to get at, I'm just wondering for someone who is maybe doing CrossFit and now they're doing these other things with you, how much more are you able to help them with these other areas and just simply doing something like CrossFit? So to, to answer the, the first part there, I, I've been a, an avid CrossFitter, I guess, for around about eight or nine years after I finally gave away playing um, competitive sport. It, it filled a nice void for me to, to keep you know, keep pushing myself hard physically and, and having that camaraderie and community. Uh, but it wasn't until probably two or three years ago that, and it would have been a function of, of wanting to start taking the the other parts of performance that I was learning on the side and, and getting an interest in, and to be able to to bring that to, to people. So. Um, it's, it's quite interesting, and, and having been around CrossFit for a long time now, to, to see the, the arc that a lot of people follow where they're, they're incredibly motivated when they first turn up and they can make some really amazing gains in, in the first 6 to 12 months, mm. then potentially you know, injure themselves, then potentially plateau in performance, uh, mm. And then you start to peel back the layers of, you know, what are they actually there for? Um, mm. A lot of people, I find, get addicted to that, that suffer. That they want to, well, they want to come in and they want to just go as hard as possible and then they'll uh, complain. They will not complain afterwards, but it's, it's, it's quite a badge of honour to, to talk with 
you know, other people in the class about how much that sucked or how uh, how hard they were suffering. And yeah, I've always found that um, I don't think that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. And, and if, if you're in that kind of cycle where you need that suffer, you're obviously there's, there's some other part of life or um, there's something missing which you're either blocking out or you need to feel that way whenever you, you step inside the gym. So um, to, to circle back to where I see the, the benefit of, of what we do in terms of breath work and oxygen advantage, it's, it's a, it gives people an opportunity to, to work on an adaptation rather mm-hmm. than going and just getting better at suffering. Because anyone can suffer, mm-hmm. but if you're just going and you're not getting any better, then I feel like you're just missing the point. So you can dial back the intensity, you can move with good quality and place other really powerful restrictions on yourself, like holding your breath, like purely breathing only through your nose during workouts, and you can allow your body to develop some really incredible capacity without hurting yourself. And hmm. uh, for, for someone who's, I mean, I'm you know, a few weeks away from turning 40, and I know that uh, the way I trained in my late 20s and 30s is is probably not something I can maintain for the next two decades. So you've got to start to get smarter about, you know, what does the long game look like and how can I continue to not only challenge myself but stay healthy and keep improving without having major setbacks which become so much more costly when you get older, um, as we all inevitably do. And, and on the whole CrossFit thing, for anyone who's listening who maybe is not so familiar with CrossFit, I mean, everyone, I guess, has probably heard the name, but I think there's mm-hmm. a number of people who aren't really sure what it is. I, I, I mean, I've done CrossFit myself. I, I've got nowhere near the, the level of experience of CrossFit that, that you have. I only, only did it for like a few months or so. But it seemed to me that a number of the people in there their whole, all of the sessions they did were so intense. They were always mm-hmm. like way into the anaerobic zone and never, mm-hmm. very rarely would they ever be training within their aerobic capacity. And it's so much, I don't know, more beneficial it seems to me to to be having a bit of both rather than just always being in the anaerobic zone. I think you're right. And I think, you know, CrossFit varies according to, how well the individual affiliates can um, look after their own members and develop quality, intelligent programming. CrossFit mm-hmm. as a method is, is based around, so in the simplest terms, functional movement, uh, constantly varied, performed at high intensity. And I, I totally agree with the fact that you can't get fit without intensity. Uh, you mm-hmm. can't get strong without lifting heavy, heavy weights, but if you're doing both every time you walk in the gym, then you know, there's, there's, there's something we'll, we'll give eventually. So uh, people, people, want, people who are part of a, a CrossFit affiliate and feel like they need that every time that they um, walk through the door or they're not getting their, their money's worth or they're not you know, doing proper CrossFit, aren't going to last, I don't think. And mm. yeah, the, the methodology in the sport 
is still relatively young. It's mm. about f- 15 years, so, and, and then the competitive side of things and the levels that people have got to and the, the, the stress and strain they put on their bodies, I'm not sure we're, we're really going to know, you know, for a number of years what kind of toll that will take. And um, mm. I, I think your point of mixing things up and, you know, toggling between states where you go intense one day, heavy another day, it's um, more aerobic training the next day, that's, that's, a, that's a much more balanced and, and sensible approach in my opinion. I just realised actually there again um, we may be going too deep and some people may be thinking well, I've heard the name aerobic anaerobic I've got no idea what that means. Do you, do you want to give a, a description of those? Uh, so you're basically talking about the, the energy systems that the body is using to to, to produce energy and um, your aerobic system uh, is relying on oxygen to produce energy most, most simply, uh, anaerobic is uh, relying on the, the glycolytic or the burning of glycogen uh, to pr- produce that energy in the absence of oxygen. So it's, it's almost like your emergency, um, you know, high, uh, you know, foot on the gas pedal system where you're going hard and fast and um, there's, a, there's a consequence for that um, with I'm sure everyone's felt the, the lactic acid burn at some point in their life. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the aerobic uh, system obviously being what we use or hopefully what we should use for most of our waking hours and, and for moderate intensity exercise. Mm. And so do you, with the training that you do, so when people first come into you, uh, is it? Because I guess from what you, you mentioned about the recruitment, so this is something you're just yep. doing a few hours a week or? Yep, so tomorrow morning I'll, I'll be coaching the, the 6am and the 7am uh, over in the gym and then I'll come home and go about my day. Uh, mm-hmm. So I do that two times a week, sometimes three, depending on, on how we're staffed. Um, and then uh, I've got a lucky to have a, a really good relationship with uh, the owner, Rich, who's just a a wonderful human being and a great mentor of mine. Uh, Sundays at the gym, there's typically nothing on their program, so I've had the opportunity to use the space to deliver breath-specific workshops and seminars, uh, which is more focused on oxygen advantage, uh, XPT-type methods, as well as the the cold exposure, uh, which is always great fun. So I'm just wondering, is there people who, when they first discover some of the stuff that you do, it must be quite a shock to, because most people aren't familiar with these sort of cold exposure and breathing and, and so on. So what, what kind of reactions do you get with people? It was interesting. I was actually thinking about that today because obviously when you, when you live in this world and you're trying to spread the message about different types of training, social media is obviously a, an important part of, of getting the word out and it can feel like you're living in a bit of an echo chamber and you know the, the technology behind the scenes is probably pulling all the strings for us, but to me it feels like everyone knows about breathwork and cold exposure because that's, that's pretty much all I see in my, my feed. But um, at the same time, there are, there's a 
also those moments when you also feel like you're shouting into a tunnel and you're not really sure whether the message you're putting out there is landing on new people or whether they're um, they're seeing the the value or seeing the the, the potential for you know, to transform their health and their performance and it's it's tough to, to try and squeeze it in with with regular CrossFit programming because people have have quite a, a strong expectation about what they want out of a session. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we obviously have the the head coaches programming to follow as well. So for me, it's 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 a matter of trying to sneak it in in the margins. So potentially in, in the warm ups, I'll throw some curveballs at the group and ask them to do certain things with entirely nasal breathing, which usually gets a few eye rolls, um, mm-hmm. or we'll get to a cool down and I'll have them you know, lie down, foot against, up against the wall and, and do some very simple uh, relaxation breathing techniques. So I always get really good feedback when they actually experience it, but it's at the same time, I, I'm sure I'm on the butt of a lot of jokes as well in the, um, the social circles around the gym of um, people always say, oh, yeah, Rich will just be breathing through his ears. He doesn't doesn't breathe um, through his mouth anymore. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to tell whether uh, yeah, people are buying in or whether it's, it's still too fringe at this stage. But I, all you can do is just keep hammering. <laughs> So what is it you're in from what you just described? So you're doing a, a, a kind of normal CrossFit s- session, but you're adding in elements of breathwork into it as well. So that's, that's what I try with my own training. That's uh, And being busy, obviously, now with coaching and a business and having a, a baby in the house as well, time is, is pretty um, limited. So... Most of the training I do by myself, I do by myself when I can fit it in, and I'm developing a broader and broader repertoire of uh, modalities and methodologies which combine traditional strength and conditioning training with weights or with um, skipping ropes, kettlebells, all these kind of things, and then add in different breathing constraints as well. So one of those being the, the mask, which some mm-hmm. people might have, have seen, the, the, the sports mask or the training mask, which, which limits the flow of air. So adding another layer of challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be doing certain workouts with breath holds interspersed or with nasal breathing only. Um, so that's for me personally. And then at the gym, it's, it's, it's hard. Most people, you've got to make sure they're moving well and doing the fundamentals right to begin with. So that takes up a lot of attention and effort. And it's, it's difficult to mix things up and, and then throw an additional um, piece of information for them to try and integrate into a workout as it is. So if I'm doing it with a class, it's, it's generally very simple, part of a warm-up, part of a cool-down, uh, nothing, nothing too complicated. Hmm. And the, the gym that you're talking about where you're doing a CrossFit, is that where, is the pool in the same place or are we talking different different places you're doing that? No, unfortunately there's no pool at our gym. Um, we're in, like a lot of CrossFit gyms, we're in an industrial 
area, so it works well from a, a space perspective. There's, there's a few different pools that we use locally. The Noosa Aquatic Centre is uh, just a few streets away, which is a fantastic facility, a 50-metre outdoor, 25-metre outdoor, as well as a, a kiddie pool that we get into mm-hmm. occasionally. Uh, and then there's another school pool, which we also use. And I'm hoping to – we're doing a bit of reconnaissance on the weekend to find some open water, which is – consistently calm and allows us to do some of the, the underwater training in, in quite a controlled environment because when, when the swell is and the tides and we get big surf, it's, it's impossible to, to try and do the, the kinds of uh, water-based sessions that we, we can achieve in the pool. So uh, we, we train wherever we can at the moment and it's 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 still quite uh, an experimental group. There's probably about half a dozen guys who are excited in my neighbourhood to, to train regularly. And then when we all get organised and put on a, a seminar, that's when we, we hire a few lanes at the Aquatic Centre and, and really you know, take over. And, and the cold exposure, is that something that you're doing on a regular basis or do you just do sort of a workshop every now and then? The cold exposure with um, clients and members is is only sporadic, mm. uh, so once or twice a month, based on what else I've got going on, uh, commitments with the surf club or um, with family and, and work. So I just try and squeeze one of those in uh, every two weeks if I can, maybe once a month. But personally, I'll be doing my own cold exposure three to four times a week with a, a setup I've got at home. So, um, yeah, always like to, to try and keep that, that sword sharp and um, be, be in a position to, to really uh, know exactly the, the message I'm trying to convey when, when you've got a group of, of newcomers who are you know, standing there getting super nervous about getting into ice cold water for the first time reassuring them that it's, it's not the worst thing that can happen to them. They will be fine. And for, again, for I'm just thinking for people listening who are thinking, what the hell are they what talking about? What is this about? guy? Okay. <laughs> 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 well, I mean, there's there's so many benefits. I mean, I've done a, a Wim Hof workshop and I actually went on a Wim Hof yeah. exp- expedition to Iceland as well. Oh, fantastic. Um, and it, but there's, there's so many benefits to cold exposure. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I guess my, my personal journey with cold exposure actually started when I was living in the UK, um, over in, in your part of the world, where winters, the water that comes out of the tap is actually cold, unlike um, what we have here. And I've just been starting to discover that, you know, the, the hormonal and chemical responses within the body to some controlled cold exposure actually did some some pretty amazing things in terms of of mood, um, in terms of recovery. Um, But I think fundamentally the the real opportunity that exists within cold exposure is to condition the nervous system. And a lot of people who don't or have never experienced any kind of extreme or don't often get in a position where they're under extreme stress 
have a very hard time when even minor stresses can present themselves. So mm. the, the routine exposure to cold for me is just, I mean, it's, it's not relaxing. It's, it's a stressful situation when mm. you're getting into water, which is, you know, very close to freezing. And there's a difference between tap water with some ice cubes in it and water, which is very close to freezing. Mm. Uh, the, the automatic response of the body and for, for those who aren't conditioned is it approximates what, what the feeling of shock is like. Mm. So like anything which we can habitually and gently um, expose ourselves to and, and grow uh, and, and build an adaptation to, that makes our, our system stronger, and particularly the nervous system and the ability to to regulate your uh, parasympathetic versus sympathetic nervous system response, which a lot of people in a, who are you know, always on the go in that you know, achievement, can't slow down, can't, can't relax. It's, um, it's a very important skill, to, I think, to develop. So that's, that's where the cold exposure comes into it for... Um, mm. And, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a good few months now, since this whole pandemic situation started. And I, I posed the question, I think it was on the Oxygen Advantage Instructors group on Facebook. Um, I, I wonder whether people that are regularly doing training that helps and strengthens their immune system. So things like the breath work and, and especially when you add in the cold exposure as well. It would be fascinating to know, and I haven't heard any responses back yet, whether anyone who's done this sort of training, I'm not saying it, you wouldn't, that would prevent you from catching COVID in the first place because mm-hmm. that, that's unlikely. But I would be surprised if anyone who's done this sort of training has suffered greatly with COVID. Mm-hmm. But I've got no idea on if that's the case or not. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah, point to, to ponder because it's a, and not not knowing obviously not being a, a medical expert and not really understanding uh, the disease or the um, the virus in any great detail, but it seems to be those who have underlying health conditions or who have poor levels of fitness, um, who have pre-existing you know breathing disorders, you know. Asthmatics, respiratory disorders—they're the ones who take it harder. Mm. Whereas, if you have some kind of capacity and resilience uh, to you know, not not be so knocked on on your ass by it, then yeah, I, I, I think there's probably something in that. Well, and it's also I, oh, well, I wish I could remember the details now. I remember I was reading an article. It may have been Patrick McEwen, the um, the Oxygen Advantage, and you know the guy who, who came up with the Oxygen Advantage who was talking about the many benefits of nitric oxide and that there is um, a feeling that there's no conclusive proof yet that nitric oxide plays a role in preventing uh, serious issues with the whole COVID situation. Mm. I think there was a study which was done around the time of the, the first major stars out, outbreak and mm. whether it was animal or human populations um, and 
using nitric oxide and, and the effect that it had on the severity and the length of, of their effects, and obviously SARS being closely related to, to COVID, um, mm. that could be where, where the, the line of thinking was going. And, and again, for those listening and thinking, well, why are you talking about nitric oxide? So when you, when you nasal breathe, you're much more likely to draw ni- na- uh, nitric oxide down from the nasal cavities down into the diaphragm, which you won't get if you're, if you're mouth breathing. Correct, yeah. yeah. Nitric oxide pools in the, the nasal cavity, which is... Um, and, and the extent to which it actually disperses throughout the, uh, the body and the, the vascular system, I guess, is, is, is debated, but it would certainly dilate the... Yeah, the, the bronchial tubes and help you to, to breathe better. And, and I know myself when I'm breathing only through the nose, everything just feels warmer and more open. And that's, mm. that's what the, the nitric oxide is doing. Mm. And there's also ways to generate um, nitric oxide, you know, sort of like humming and so on. Do you do, do, you do anything like that? Yeah, I don't mind a good hum every now and again. I'll, uh, I'll throw that into one of my breathing sessions. Um, mm-hmm. It's... It's funny, when, when, when you get a, a room full of people who are doing things they've never done before, how much sort of nervousness and self-consciousness there is around something as simple mm-hmm. as a hum in a quiet room. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that, that, that gentle vibration that, that you get in the nasal cavity from, from a gentle hum, yeah, I think it feels feels amazing. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's giving you the the nurse as well then why not get involved it's funny actually because i've been into sort of the, the speaking circuit for a few years now and i you know i sort of speak it in different sort of conferences and engagements every now and then and something that many speakers have been doing for i don't know how many years for decades from what i can work out is before not all of them but many of them before they go on stage they'll go through a process of doing humming because it helps them to, to speak better. It makes their voices clearer. I forget the exact reasons, but, but nothing to do with, you know, they have no idea that it, it helps actually to also uh, produce nitric oxide. Yeah, it's fascinating when different you know, professions or traditions stumble on the same thing quite independently mm. of one another. And, mm. yeah, I'm always fascinated by those kind of stories. Hmm. So the um, usually a question I ask very near the end of the episode is I ask people about if there's a book they would they would recommend and and the book that you already told me that you were going to talk about I I don't want to just wait to the end because this is quite a well, it's a fabulous book and you told me about it only a couple of days ago and I was so intrigued by the title of the book. I finished it in, in 24 hours. It was an amazing yeah, wow. so, so let's talk about it because apparently, from what I can make out, that book had a role to play in you moving to where you are now as well. I think so, yeah. Um, so the book in question is called The Blue Mind uh, by mm-hmm. Wallace Nichols. Mm-hmm. And I think I read that book on one of the last holidays we had in this part of the world before we actually moved. So um, that, that was a time, it was actually a pretty tough time for us. So living in Melbourne, we were probably into round number three or four of 
um, the IVF process. So we, we had quite a, a long road to um, to fatherhood and motherhood in our, mm-hmm. our household. So you know, living in the big city, we're having these you know, failure after failure with, with that process. Uh, living in that urban environment, and we're up here on holiday, and I'm reading this book, which is telling me that people who spend time either on, in, uh, near, or beside water, you know, generally are more content, calmer, healthier, live longer lives. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, I can, I can see there could be something in this. So uh, that that probably spurred the the decision-making along a little bit faster than, than perhaps we we were, were originally planning. Um, so within six months, we'd, we'd set everything in motion to, to move up here. And mm-hmm. and also within another four months, we, we managed to you know, conceive naturally. So I don't know whether the, the shift in, in mindset about making the, the sea change have anything at all to do with that, but I, I think there's got to be something to to it, absolutely. And how different is your life now where in you know on the Sunshine Coast from when you were in Melbourne? Well there's no traffic. That's that's one of the, the awesome <laughs> benefits. Um, I was used to chuckle my so when I was working in the city, we were living in the inner city suburbs and I would walk to and from work every day. It's about a forty-minute walk, and the first half of the the walk from home to work was through quite a depressed area. There's a, mm-hmm. a particular block of housing commission flats, which had the the highest concentration of heroin users in the country, and was the the site for a, a safe injecting house. So it was pretty bleak. Mm-hmm. And then the second half of the walk, I'd be into the the beautiful. Uh, botanical gardens that ring ring the city. So that sort of gives you a, a snapshot about you know what day to day was like in in Melbourne. Mm. Um, office environment, you know, pretty stale. Um, sitting down indoors all day, you know, exercising and spending time with family on the margins. Mm. Uh, to at the moment, just having a lot more a lot more flexibility with with time and. And being able to design my my week or my my day according to what what's going to flow best. So if if I'm on you know parenting duty while my wife's off at the gym, and I, I can take that through to nine thirty or ten in the morning, and then we'll tag team, and I can get out and and train at the beach until lunchtime, come home, and then. You know, if if there's some deadlines to, to make with with recruitment work, I'll put the head down and go like the clappers for a few hours. Just a lot more productive in the time that I'm actually engaged in whatever task I'm doing. So uh, life is, is certainly more relaxed, but still very productive and um, you know, having having loads of fun at the moment. Would you say there's been a difference in in your quality of life? Absolutely, hundred percent. No doubt about it. Hmm. And do you, I'm wondering from the way you've been describing things so far during, you know, since we've been talking, I just wonder, do you have anything in your head about eventually doing your own stuff full time rather than the out of equipment? I would like to. 
Yes. Uh, it's it's a question of you know, whether that's what that looks like and whether it's a dedicated facility here that people can come to, mm-hmm. whether it's travelling more and delivering these kind of experiences and workshops at other locations around the country and, yeah, hopefully when we're allowed to travel again <laughs> around the world. Mm. Um, or, you know, whether it's, it's a mixture of the two. I don't, don't know at this stage. I'm still, I think, on a very much a, a learning curve and a journey of discovery about trying new things and, and figuring out what gets people excited, what has impact on people's lives, um, you know, what people aren't so interested in. Um, and it's, it's also a matter of meeting people where they are as well because the thing about breath work and, and coaching people in breathing is that most people assume they're fine. Most people assume that there's, you know, I, I, I breathe in and out all day, every day. What's, what's, what's my issue if I'm not asthmatic, I'm not um, chronic breathing pattern disorders, then you know, you've got nothing for me. Uh, they don't realise that if they're prepared to, to actually put in the time and to do the work, you know, to get to know their own physiology, to you know, make progress slowly, then you know, there's, there's just incredible benefits. Actually, for, you just give me an idea. For, again, for the, the, the listeners who are not so familiar with breathwork, and there's something in the oxygen advantage we know as the as the bolt score. Mm-hmm. Um, it might be a useful exercise for people listening, so they have a better understanding of their uh, own functional capability mm-hmm. come, when it comes to breathing. Do you want to explain there the whole bolt process? Okay, so the bolt, which I believe stands for body oxygen level test, was developed from the Bateco tradition of. The, the control pause. So what it's, yeah, in practicality, it's asking the individual to take a normal breath in and a normal breath out and to hold their breath on a passive exhale until such time as there's a definite or strong urge to take a breath. So we're not asking people to go for a maximum breath hold because willpower and ability to suffer starts to enter into the equation. It's just your body telling you when you usually uh, get a trigger to breathe. So we could we could do it now or we could um, yeah, uh, why not? Descri- de- yeah, describe, describe the process. So um, as I said, it's a, it's a normal breath in and a normal breath out. We're not looking to take a great big gasp of air. And it's all uh, through the nose. All through the nose. So ideally, we're, we're sitting in a comfortable resting position. You might like to do it first thing in the morning when you hop out of bed, just to, so you're nice and rested and nice and relaxed. Get yourself a stopwatch. Pop yourself into a comfortable position. Take a normal breath in and normal breath out. Pinch your nose and hold your nose and we start the timer. And then when you feel that first definite urge, whether it's a constriction in your throat and neck or tightening in the shoulders or a bit of a, a tightening in the chest and the diaphragm, you know, whatever signal your body is sending you that 
it's time to breathe, that's where you hit stop on the stopwatch. And hopefully we should have a score somewhere 20 seconds or above. Um, anything under that, what that, that's telling us is that we have quite a poor tolerance to carbon dioxide in, in our system. So our urge to breathe, which is driven by carbon dioxide, not by a lack of oxygen, uh, comes on you know, fairly quickly. And that also means that we don't tolerate high levels of stress very well, and we're not really very efficient with, with using the oxygen that we, we bring into our body. So uh, there's a range of exercises we can do to, to improve that, that score, and um, ideally we like to see um, you know, people getting up into the, the high 20s and 30s and, and elite athletes into the, the range of the, the 40-second mark. But um, yeah, it is surprising how some very, very fit and capable athletes can still score incredibly poorly on, on that measure. And I imagine for some people listening, because there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this podcast, and, and I think something that you just said then that may have really changed some perspectives or, or certainly made people kind of listen more intently is when you mentioned about the, the stress by mm-hmm. when, it, when, the, when the bolt score is under 20 seconds, it means they're not handling stress so well. So, mm-hmm. so some people now may be more inclined to think, actually, maybe I should give this a go simply because it will help them with their stress more. 100%. Yep. And, and so what sort of things should, should they be doing? Well, I mean, the, the primary cause of low CO2 tolerance is, is over-breathing. So if, if people find themselves, uh, if, if you're sitting down in a quiet room and you can hear yourself breathing or you're breathing um, at a, a rate of, say, more than a dozen to well, up to 20 breaths per minute, then that, that's, that's a sure sign that you're breathing well in excess of, of what your body's physiological needs actually are. So you're... You're getting rid of your carbon dioxide. You're not letting it circulate, do its magic in the, the body of opening up the blood vessels, of allowing the oxygen to be diffused into the tissues. You're, you're essentially spinning your wheels. Um, so to begin to address that, we want to try and breathe less, to breathe softer, and ideally to do all that breathing day and night, through the nose. And, and that's, that's, that's one that people can, can really uh, push the boat out on if they want to guarantee their sleep, uh, breathing through the nose uh, throughout the night when they're, they're sleeping and they can get themselves some, some paper tape. I don't know if you've ever tried that, Tony. And yeah, I've been doing that for years. Yeah, I've yeah. been doing that for years. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's, I remember when, when I first um, raised that uh, in the bedroom before bed one night and my wife said, you're not. No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Does she do it now? No, no, I haven't been able to to convince her. Um, She tried it once or twice, but um, she's she's pretty stubborn. Yeah, so, so breathing through the nose as much as possible, breathing trying to keep our, our breathing quiet and um, 
Yeah, they say optimal breathing is almost imperceptible, should be barely noticeable. It helps in so many other areas of life as well that, you know, with, with sleep apnea, snoring, and there's so many, even weight loss, there's so many areas it can help with, isn't it? Well, that's right. Well, you ask most people, how does the, the body actually get rid of, how does the body lose fat? And they mm. think to themselves, oh, do we sweat it out? No. You actually, you breathe out. Mm. Um, that, that's, that's when your body is losing around it. It's, it's through the, the exhale breath. So uh, the breath is perhaps more important than a, a lot of people generally realise. Mm. Yeah. And, and as I said, if you've got problems, if you are a snorer, if you're disturbing your partner every night <laughs> with your snoring, <laughs> this is certainly going to help. Yeah, absolutely. At least, I mean, give it a, give it a try. Uh, one one way to ease into that might be to you know, just just wear it before bed for, for twenty minutes, or um, you know, just get used to the the feeling and, and realize that okay, I'm going to have to be a bit more conscious in in breathing deeply and learning how to actually breathe breathe deep and through the nose. A lot of people have confused you know, deep breathing with taking a big breath and mm, absolutely um, the ability to actually take a quiet, deep breath is um, you know, immensely satisfying and calming and, and to, to take a long, slow exhale as well is a practice that I would, would highly recommend as well. It's, I've never seen anyone having a panic attack who is exhaling slowly. Mm. So you, you, can, you can reverse engineer the, the mental, emotional state with the breath. It's, it's, all, it's all tied together. And you just mentioned about the difference between a deep breath and a big breath. So a lot of people will probably be extremely confused by, well, there is no difference. So do you want to explain that? Yeah, well, all our lives we've been, we've been told, you know, when we're under situations of, of stress or anxiety, you know, take a deep breath, you'll be fine. And what do people usually do? They puff up their chest and they take a big gasp. Um, it's, it's difficult. I know we don't have video going, but... I'll do my best impersonation audibly, which is a, okay, they breathe into the upper chest and they use all of those accessory breathing muscles of the shoulders and the neck and the chest. Um, but that doesn't get the air down to where it needs to go. We need to get the, the air as, as deep as possible into the lower lobes of the lungs. Okay, so there's usually five lobes of the lungs and most of the, or the greatest concentration of, um, uh, contact between blood vessels and alveoli happens on the lower lobes, just just the way gravity works. So, if you're getting the air deeper, you're allowing more oxygen to be um, dispersed in in the bloodstream. And the only way that you can draw air deep is by I mean, the, the lungs. They're, they're a passive organ; they don't actually you can't. You can't work your lungs consciously. It's something that you have to create space in your chest cavity. You have to create negative pressure, vacuum-like effect. And the way you do that is by activating the diaphragm. So by fully engaging the diaphragm, which as it contracts and expands, creates space in the chest cavity. It also gives your organs in the 
Um, I don't want to go in a nice massage, but that's, that's giving you space to allow the air to be pulled down deep and to actually get value from your breath. So that doesn't necessarily have to be big gasp. It can be a slow, controlled, really beautiful, soft breath, but it can still go deep and you can still get value from it. And your people will generally feel much more relaxed after some nice deep breaths as well, won't they? Absolutely. I've had, I've had a few people who've fallen asleep in some of my classes, but I try, I try to uh, you know, get them back into a, um activated mode before mm. I notice any snoring. <laughs> yeah. And also to when you're taking that breath deep down into your diaphragm, but also to try to push your kind of the sides of your ribs out as well is, is something that... Yeah, the, the, side, the side and the back. Um, mm. yeah, people uh, often the cue for diaphragmatic breathing is belly breathing mm. and that's not, not essentially, not entirely correct because you know, the diaphragm, if you picture that a, a, a dome or a, a half... Um, spherical shape sitting up underneath a rib cage. That's a 360 degree space that we're expanding into. So if I'm only puffing out my tummy when I'm taking mm. a deep breath, then I'm missing the opportunity to create space in the side of my chest cavity and in the mm. back as well. It's, I like to think of it like a, a canister which expands out in all directions uh, mm. as, it, as it activates. So not just the front. Rich, we're time. Time is flying here. Um, it is. If people yeah. want, if people want to find out more about you, what you do, I mean, where, where would they go to? So I've got a website. Uh, recently mm-hmm. put that up. We are performancebreathing.online. So mm-hmm. performancebreathing is all one word. Dot online. But if mm-hmm. you want to keep track of most of my uh, crazy experiments and training um, ideas, which I do day to day. Then Instagram is generally where I post my little videos and um, bits and pieces, and mm-hmm. that is at Rich J Burrows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably the two best places to find me. And and are you able to? Yeah, so for people who are listening to this who aren't in easy, um, you know, not able easily to get to the Sunshine Coast, do you offer anything for people um, living, you know, like, uh, online or anything like that? Not as yet. Uh, I've, I've done a few consultations uh, over Zoom, but um, mm-hmm. nothing in terms of any kind of robust programming, but uh, that's, that's certainly something which we're hoping to develop in the future. Hmm. And, and usually at this stage, I would ask you about a book you would recommend, but we've already gone into that. Oh, so. I haven't <laughs> Tick. so what is your, do you have a, a quote that you particularly like? It's, it's one that, um, and I'm, I'm glad you asked me this, because it's, it's, it's one that I think sums up my approach to myself in terms of training, but also everyone who I work with. And it comes from the film director Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. And I'll paraphrase because I'm not exactly sure if I'll get it entirely right, but 
He said, I'm not sure whether the moral of the Icarus story should have been, don't fly too high. Rather, forget the wax and feathers and just do a better job on the wings. So mm. for me, that's all about um, building better wings, making ourselves yeah, stronger, more resilient to then go out and achieve things we want to do to fly mm. higher and not, not always be uh, defaulting to a story about our capability that we've either made up for ourselves or society or family have told us that you know, we can only ever do so much because this is what we're capable of or this is what our limitations are, which is mm. you know, believing that all wings should be made out of wax and feathers when in fact you do a better job and you can soar a lot higher in life. So, um, yeah, I think that's just a really, it's, it's a cheeky one and a, um, I think a, a really nice message. When it's also, it reminds me a bit kind of lateral thinking. It's not an either or. Yeah, yeah. There's a completely exactly. different perspective. Yeah. Ch- change the rules of the game and um, yeah, see, exactly. see what you can do. Well, Rich, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you for the last hour. Um, thank you for, for sharing all your wisdom with the, with the listeners and your experience. And Hopefully we'll encourage some other people to realise that life isn't just about earning money and it's about, you know, maybe think about moving to somewhere where you might not earn as much money, but you'll have a far better life. 100%. My great pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much for inviting me on and giving me the chance to yeah, hopefully spread that same message. And I know it's, um, it's an important one for you as well. And keep doing the work you're doing. It's, it's brilliant. Love it. Thanks, Rich. Next week, episode 15 with Duncan Baskerin Brown. He's an award winning speaker, author, and Morris dancer. He's helped hundreds of people across the world to get over indulgence and wake up to a better tomorrow. And he's spoken at events in many different sectors. So, we're going to hear a lot more from Duncan, how he helps people with their urges on things like food, drink, drugs, social media, Netflix, whatever. So that's next week with Duncan Baskerin Brown. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode with Rich Burrows. If you know anyone who would really get some benefit from this, why not share the episode with them? Leave a review for us and maybe subscribe while you're on the iTunes or Stitcher site or whichever site it is that you use. Hope you have a fantastic week. <laughs>